We are in a series called Game On, and the idea is that life is happening, and we're playing the game of life, if you will, and just like any other game, we want to win, we want to thrive, we don't want to just survive, and so we have the picture of the football field up there, because I love football, and I'm allowed to do whatever I want, because I'm the pastor, and uh, so what we've been talking about is this idea of, you know, football just has a lot of great analogies of life, you know, you, you, you can get blindsided, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can have this great plan for your life. You can talk about what your career is going to look like, what your family is going to look like. And all of a sudden, there's, a, there's opposition to that. And then you have to readjust on the fly oftentimes. And so we've been talking about this idea that this game is on, that you're on the field. And, and you can't just run up into the stands. Life is happening. And so rather than just survive it to get to the end of the game and have one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel and just kind of feel like, well, I made it, why not thrive? And what does that even look like? And the Bible talks about that, what a relationship with God actually looks like. Jesus described it like this, I, 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 my, I want my joy to be full in you. And so how does that how does that play uh, itself out in our lives? And so what we've been talking about is removing the, the, the label Christian um, because 85% of our country calls themselves Christians. And it's just too broad a term. And they might be, but it's just too broad a term. And so we were talking about the term disciple because a disciple follows after uh, the master. And so we've been talking about if, what, what would my master do in this situation? And, and so... From there, we talked about the idea um, that uh, there are certain things that disciples do. Disciples, good disciples, those who are making it through life thriving and not surviving. There's a, a bunch of stuff and we wanted to talk about each of those. The first one we talked about was worship. That, that, that disciples that are thriving are worshipers. And we talked about the idea of removing idols before we worship. That's the number one thing. And then we talked about getting into the word of God. And how disciples, at least the ones I've seen and probably the ones you've seen, those who are effective are those who know the word and place themselves under the authority of the word of God. And we talked about prayer. And what does it mean to have an effective prayer life? And then uh, Nate talked about generosity. What does it mean to be a giver? What does it mean to be someone whose finances don't have them? That their finances are used for the kingdom of God, are used in a way that God would be pleased with. And, and so this morning what we're going to talk about is something that might challenge you a little bit. Um, you might push back on this a little bit. It, it might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, because it kind of goes against a little bit of the grain of what it means to be an American. Uh, what I'm talking about might be a little un-American, so that might get some people upset. And, but what will happen, what I think will happen, at least what happened to me while I was going through this over the week, is that what I'm talking about is something that just might be a little unnatural for you or for me. And, um, and so... I, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll kind of hang w w with me through the whole thing and get a better understanding of what I'm talking about. Um, imagine you work for a company and you're a forklift driver 
and you're really a really good forklift driver and you get to work on time and you leave late because you care about the company and you start to move up the corporate ladder and soon you're in charge of all the forklift drivers and then from there you move on and you uh, uh, you know become head of a department maybe you run the warehouse and you move on this, this company manufactures and distributes widgets and so you now are in charge of not only the warehouse but you begin to become um, kind of like a manager in operations and you have a team and you have staff meetings and all this kind of stuff and you're running that team and they just say Sally or Joe or whatever your name is uh, you know you're doing such a great job we're going to promote you and now you're going to be part of a division and so you do that really well and you're you're just moving up 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 the ladder you're 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 um, your job is going exactly as you planned it. And then they come to you one day and they say, we would like you to be executive vice president of operations for the, for the country. And you're like, uh, where do I sign? And they say, well, here's the deal. You have to move to Iowa for two years where our plant is. And you have to live in Iowa, in a small town in Iowa, for two years. So you spend... Uh, a long time in prayer because you don't want to go to Iowa. You love Southern California. And you look up that little town on the map and you realize it's a town of uh, 780 people and you're going two years. But at the end of that two years, you're going to come back knowing everything about that company and you can then move to, they said, any city you want. San Francisco, San Diego, New York. We'll give you a Maserati, a health care package. You'll ha- you'll, we'll give you a wife or a husband that'll do everything you want. I mean, you got, I mean, your career is just jamming. And so you say, okay. But you're a Christian. So you get into town. And what's the first thing you look for? Is you look for a church. And this particular town has two churches This one, which we have the picture of, and another one, which I don't have the picture of. And you start walking around church, uh, around town, and you're starting to ask them, you know what? Uh, So which church, do you guys go to church? Which church do you go to? Do they preach the word? Do they, you know, kind of all this thing? Do they have a worship, you know, oh, oh. And you talk to one person, they say, oh, you've got to attend our church. The worship is just awesome. So you're thinking, oh, you know. Worship's good. So you, you go to the church and you meet the worship leader. And uh, there she is. Uh, we'll call her Gertrude. She's on, the, uh, she's on the organ and she can fly on the organ. I mean, she's awesome. And she tells you we are up on all the hip new worship songs. We, we, she, she starts playing, love them in the morning when you see. This is doing the hand motions and all that. And you're like, that's from the 70s, man. You start thinking, oh, no. I can't, I don't know if I can worship to Gertrude on the organ. I mean, she's talented and everything, but man. And so you decide you're going to talk to the pastor. And so you go and you meet the pastor. His name's Earl. He's been at that church for 50 years. Uh, he was born in that church, raised in that church. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing. And you start to think to yourself, man, I, I'm from SoCal. Like Oregon and that dude and a tie and that little tiny church. And so you go visit the other pastor in town and that's him. And so you go back to the other church and you're like, okay, you know, 
erase, erase. I never saw that, you know, whatever. And you're realizing, man, this is, the, this is it. I mean, this is church. And so you're like, well, you know, do you have small groups? And they say, yeah, you know, here's your small group. And there you go. All right. And here's the thing. Like me, you would be tempted to look at that church and to come to the conclusion, I can't worship there. I can't worship there. It's what, pick, pick whichever judgmental thing you want to hit that I would have to. They're too old. They're not hip enough. They're not blah, blah, blah. The preacher is boring. Whatever, whatever thing I would say, we'd all, we'd all say, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe switch it. Okay, maybe you're older and this feels really comfortable to you and you end up going to a church where everybody's young and they, you know, the lights are all down and they have candles everywhere and you can't see where you're going. Pick whichever stereotype you want to pick, okay? You end up in a town that's the only church. Can you worship there? Because the temptation, at least for me, would be to skip that church, download that album, listen to that guy on the internet, right? And then have all my Facebook. Those are all my Facebook friends, by the way. I'm, <clears throat> I'm incredibly hip. Uh, and just kind of do spirituality on Facebook. And if somebody says they read their Bible, like, you know, I, I got it, right? And so, so we'd, we'd leave this. Now, here's the thing I want to get across, hopefully, this morning that we'll all understand. If you did that, it would be a tragic, tragic error. And you would miss out on a lot of what God has for you, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, good night, but Iowa... I mean, they only got two churches in all of I. I mean, I don't know if I could go. But let, let me just, let me let you in on a little secret, okay? There are people worshiping Jesus in Iowa. There are people worshiping Jesus in that church. That lady on the organ, I don't really know what her name is. But there's a good chance she's worshiping God. That that assembly together, that church together is worshiping God. So what I want to talk to you about this morning so what does it mean to be a part of a church? What, what does it mean to go to church? Is going to church even important? What, what, what is it? What are we doing here? <laughs> right? See, you guys are feeling like, I'm so glad I'm here. I'd feel so guilty. if I, Well, if you weren't here, you wouldn't even know what we were talking about. So you wouldn't feel guilty. They're doing just fine. <laughs> Trust me. They're playing golf or whatever. But here's the thing. What does it mean to come together? What does it mean to be part of a church? What does it mean to worship? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to start out... Um, where we first see the word church in the Bible, Jesus, uh, it's a term that is attributed to Jesus when he's talking to Peter. And what's happened is they're getting to the end of of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus asked this important question to his disciples. Who does everyone say that I am? You know, we've been at this for a while. We've had some people healed. We've had some people come after us. I mean, you know, they've started, they've gotten to know my ministry and my name and all that who who do who what, what's the word on the street if you were to ask what what's that jesus about what would people say and so they began to say you know some say you know uh you know a prophet some say john the baptist you know some say blah 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 all this kind of stuff and and, and that's what's coming down and then jesus asked this question that he asked all of us that you're going to go if you go to the women's retreat 
um, that they're going to talk about. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? What is it like for you to be a disciple of mine? And Peter says this incredibly amazing statement considering the situation they were in. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says this. He says, uh, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't come up with this on your own. This wasn't your idea. It was, uh, but by my father in heaven. In other words, the creator of the universe, God, our father, our creator, revealed this to Peter. And so he goes on, he makes this amazing statement. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. Now, Scholars go back and forth under what it means to be on this rock. Some scholars think on this rock, Peter, that Peter is the father of our church. Other scholars, myself included, uh, believe that this rock, this Petra, is the concept of that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's upon this concept. And so Peter's name means rock, but it means small rock. It's as these, all these small rocks come together under the banner of a Messiah, Jesus, the son of God who died, was buried and rose again. That's what is going to build his church. Now, what I want to talk about very briefly is what is this word church? Okay, why did Jesus use the word church? Well, he didn't. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was translated into Greek. The Greek word is ekklesia or ecclesia, whichever camp you're on on how to pronounce Greek terms. I argue about it all day long with people. Now, I, who cares, right? Uh, but, but we'll just say ekklesia. This, this, it really means assembly. It means gathering. Upon this gathering, I will, uh, upon this rock, I'll build my gathering, my assembly. The word church was used, it was a German word that was based on another German word that was based on a Danish word. And, and, and for the church at that time, the institution of church, they wanted to make sure that thing said church. And it did, and we've had it ever since. But there was a guy named Tyndale. William Tyndale, who translated the Bible from, uh, he translated from the original Hebrew and the original Greek. Here, oh, here, here's the guy. Uh, this is not a real picture, by the way. It's just a drawing. Um, so let you know that. But he died in 1536. And the way he died was first he was strangled and then he was burned at the stake. So it's kind of a double whammy being thorough. If you're going to kill somebody, hey, strangle them, then burn them at the stake just to make sure the job is done. But the church did that to, to Billy. Okay, because what Billy wanted to do, one of the things that was a sticking point was he wanted to translate ecclesia in the way it should be translated. Assembly, gathering. He wanted to translate it congregation. Upon this idea of Jesus the Messiah, I'm going to build my congregation. Now, the church won out. They put the term church in there. It's a bad translation. As a matter of fact, you can go through your entire Bible. 
And any place you see the word church, you can insert the word assembly or gathering. When Paul says he goes around to all the churches, he just says, I'm going around to all the gatherings. The idea is this, that with Christ dying and being buried and rising again, and then bringing a people that on Sunday morning or any time we gather, there is a breathing in of God's people together. That when you are here and I'm here and we're either at this or Bob's Wednesday night Philippians study or together at a men's breakfast or at the women's retreat, there's this breathing in of God's people. It becomes by its very nature a holy place. Now you might not think of church in those terms. You might think in terms of when you're picking a church, which doesn't really make any sense, but when you're picking a church, you might think, you know, does the pastor have a nice little goatee? Yes, he does. Check. Does the worship music look, you know, is it awesome? You know, uh, yes. Is the, you know, and you might kind of go down your thing and are the people attractive and all this kind of stuff, but that is not the church. The church is any gathering of people under the banner of Jesus Christ. And so that makes it a little different. Now, here's the problem. Because we're in America, it makes it even worse. We believe, as we believe in our entire lives and everything the culture puts out, that church is to meet our needs. And so when I feel empty inside, when I feel, I go to church. When I have kids and all of a sudden, I, hey, I really want those kids to be raised in kind of a, 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 a spiritual environment, we go to church. You know what? I, I, I feel dried up. You know, I need, I need to, I want to go to church. This is not the concept Jesus had for the gates of hell not prevailing against it. As we gather together, we create a holy space in which to meet our God whether we're in Iowa with Gertrude on the organ or we're here in quite arguably the greatest church on the planet. Okay, so whichever whichever, uh, you want to go. But the problem is, is that we have this idea that instead of a breathing in of God's people and then a breathing out into the world, there are these set of needs that we have to be met. This became um, very obvious to me. Uh, Let's see, so it would have been about 10 years ago. I was attending a church. I attended a church for a decade. Same church, same pastor, same worship team. And after I was there about six months, uh, six years, I started to get a little disgruntled. And it just started with some, it had become familiar to me. So as the worship band played, I kind of knew what was coming next. I knew what she was going to say as the, as the pastor came up and gave a thing. And he would cry. He was a crier, which I've never quite resonated with myself because I'm a, I'm a man. And so, um, anyway, uh, no, he's a good friend of mine. I joke with him all the time about it. Okay. But he'd cry and then I'd be like, I don't even know if he really means it. All this kind of stuff happening in, inside of me. I started thinking, you know, I think I need to find another church. And so, so I did what any good Christian is supposed to do. I confronted my pastor I told him, you know, I just, I don't know where the direction of the church and this and that and all this kind of stuff. And this went on for quite some time, you know, where I was, and I was, trust me, I was right. Anyway, uh, 
And so, you know, and I started talking to Lisa about it. And we started talking about, oh, gee, I don't know. I, you know, you know, I, you know, all this, this kind of stuff. And, and so we began to, I mean, when all else fails, pray. So we began to just really go before the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? You want us to go to another church? You want us to move? You want us to whatever? And then something incredibly sad happened uh, in that thing. Um, there was a major loss. Um, I got over myself. <laughs> I gave up. Now, even as I tell that story, because that's what happened. And literally overnight, Lisa will tell you the same thing. Literally overnight, we, we just went back to worshiping and the sermon was awesome and the worship was awesome and all this kind of stuff because I had realized what was happening in me, that I was going to have my needs met. Now, as I talk about that, there's a number of thoughts that are probably happening in, in here. Your first thought is, I wonder who sent him an email <laughs> right now. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'll get, the, I'll get them. For, no, nobody sent me an email, right? You're also thinking, well, well, wait a minute. Let me push back a little bit. Shouldn't I go to a church where my needs are met? I mean, should I feel guilt? Should I, should, we, should I move to Iowa? Should it be painful for me to be worshiping? I, you know, is that really the right thing? But what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a section of Scripture where Paul talks to a gathering that's in Cor- Corinth, a church in Corinth, the assembly in Corinth. And he doesn't have that many great things to say about it. And so, um, but it'll give us some insight into how we can view church, how we can view our assemblies, our gatherings together, where we understand that our participation, our just being there is important and how it serves the rest of the gathering and how just being involved in a, in a small sense can make a huge difference to the church, okay? So we're in, um, we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul's basically had 11 chapters of slapping the gathering at Corinth around of some things that, he, that are bothering him about this church. This church was totally missing the concept of what it means to get together, to gather in a holy environment. That the fact of just being together makes it holy. They were missing that. And they were making it about themselves. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. And so uh, here's what Paul says. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. No praise for you. That's what he says. No praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. <laughs> Yikes. You know, could you imagine your pastor gets up and says, oh, by the way, oh, you guys do more harm than good around here. You know, you know, th- this is what Paul's writing to this assembly. These are harsh words. Well, what could possibly bring such a harsh judgment against this assembly, this gathering that's, that gathers in Corinth? He goes, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, as a gathering, as an assembly, there are divisions among you. That, that there's kind of like these sects. These factions, if you will. There's these clans that maybe have some certain agendas or whatever. That there are some who kind of feel, well, I, you know, think this and I think that. And as we see later, it gets even worse that those clans are really set up by economics. 
they're kind of the wealthy people are kind of hanging out with the wealthy people. And the poor people are relegated to the poor people. So he says, I hear when you come together that there are divisions among you. He says, and to some extent, I, I believe it. And then he gets sarcastic on the church at the assembly in Corinth. This is just so awesome. He goes, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Well, obviously you got to have divisions because how else are we going to distinguish who's better before God, right? I mean, come on. Now, if you don't believe that Paul's sarcastic here, read the entire book of Corinthians. It's not just because I'm sarcastic by nature that I'm reading into this, okay? He's talking about, oh yeah, no, there needs to be division. The reason we know he's being sarcastic is because throughout almost all his letters, he says just the opposite of this. There's no descent, there's no divisions, there's no, it's all unified. But he's just saying, oh no, but I understand for you guys it's important because how else are you going to know who's approved by God? It doesn't make any sense. Now watch the example he uses because this seems to just come out of nowhere. He says, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Now, this scripture is not talking about getting drunk. What the scripture is talking about is that when you gather, you're gathering for your own personal needs at the expense of everyone else. When you gather, you're gathering to get something rather, to, to be, rather than to be part of a community. Now, in his particular case, it's easy to distinguish because, you know, some are rich and some are poor. What would happen for the rich is they wouldn't have to, they'd get there early because they didn't have stuff to do. They had people who did all their work. So they'd get there early, they'd be, hung, they'd be hungry, and they'd start eating. Well, the people who, the poor people, people or the people, the workers, they would work in the fields all day long and then finally they'd get done and they'd get there and there'd be nothing for them. That was the problem. They were just thinking about themselves. So he goes on. He says one, one gets drunk. Then he makes this statement. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Like, isn't there some part of getting your needs met that can happen at home? Why, why, is, why are you burdening the church with all of this? And so he says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? And then he uses these really strong words. Or do you despise the gathering of God? The assembly of the people of God by humiliating those who have nothing. You know, this was happening in our history. We're a free Methodist church. And one of the reasons uh, why we have free in front of our Methodist name is because we were founded at the time when slavery was still legal. And this was one of our big deals about we're gathering, but if you were black or pretty much anything other than white, you were in the back and white people were in the front. And we said, no, no, no. No, we are all, we're a gathering. We're all one in Christ. When we come together, there's a holy moment. Galatians says there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free. We're all, we're all one in Christ. And so uh, that's just part of our heritage. Rich people would buy their pews. And, you know, we talked about this before. They'd buy their pews, which would be awesome, you know, but 
and we don't do that anymore. But anyway, uh, you know, the rich people would be all up in front, and I'd be talking to them, and the poor people would stand in the back or sit in whatever. When these pews got used up, they'd put them in the back and get new pews. It was disgusting. This is what Paul's talking about, that maybe, just maybe, when we get together, when we gather, and again, at small group or men's breakfast, women's breakfast, Sunday morning, that maybe it's not just about us. Maybe my presence there does something to help someone else. He goes on. He says, uh, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? No, you know, certainly not. Not in this matter. No praise for you. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, he starts talking about communion. And, 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 and we're going to go over those scriptures when we take communion together as a family. But, but oftentimes we think that this section of scripture is all about how to administer communion. But it's not. It's about how to gather. It's about the mindset of, of what you do when you gather. Okay. Done. So he goes on, he talks about communion. Then watch what he says here. This is so fascinating. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what is the unworthy manner? Is it taking the wafer and flipping it up and catching it in your mouth? Like that's the unworthy manner? Is it forget? Oh, I forgot. I went up and I forgot to ask for confession for this one sin. Oh no, you know. What's the unworthy manner? The unworthy manner is that we've thought about ourselves without thinking about anybody else in the gathering. That's the unworthy manner he's talking about. That there's a sense I'm doing this for me instead of doing this for us. Bob will be talking a little bit about this when we talk about holiness. But part of my reason to be holy is for you guys. Part of your reason to be holy is for me. We gather, this is a holy moment. Part of my ability to get over my sin directly affects you and your ability to, to work together to where we get over our sin is for each other, not just ourselves. It's not just to become better people. As a matter of fact, what's weird about the scriptures, it doesn't really have a concept of individual spirituality. In almost every sense, all of spirituality happens in community, not individually. Okay, and so he goes on. He says, um, uh, "You'll be guilty of the um, uh, let's see, sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord." And he says, "Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves." And then, then he just says this weird verse. Check out this verse. It's going to blow your mind. This. <laughs> This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, died. You guys are dying off because you're not... I don't even want to believe this. Like, can you imagine if this is absolutely true? That you can get sick and weak and die if you take communion in an unworthy manner? Don't you want to not believe that? I don't want to believe that, but it's in there. He's talking to a gathering. Why are we gathering? Why are we assembling? Now, we'll talk about that in just a little bit about, well, shouldn't we get our needs met? So he says, um, 
uh, he goes on, you're, you're, you've fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. He says, nevertheless, we are judged in this way by the Lord. We are being disciplined so that we will not be fine, uh, so that we will not uh, be finally condemned with the world. Now listen to this. Here's the ending. This is to wrap it all up. It's incredible. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. He, he wraps this up. Now, this is the issue of the church in Corinth. It's not that, oh, when we take communion, we all have to do it right at the exact same time or we're all going to die, okay? It's, it's, it's the, the, the heart behind all of that, that they were attending these things for them and not for each other. Where this shows up the most in Scripture is the idea of the one another's. We, we, you know, we, we did a series two years ago on the one another's, which I'm, I know you've all memorized and remember. Um, but it, it, all throughout Scripture, as a matter of fact, I had 44 verses by, I was going to read them all, but I don't have them with me. Oh, wait, here they are. No, I'm kidding. Uh, there are 44 verses in the Bible that talk about the one another's. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Minister to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Blah. Pray for one I already said that one. But all these one another's that you're supposed to do, all that happens once the initiation there, these things are initiated in gathering, okay? And then it happens. There's a breathing in of God's people who minister to one another. And then there's a breathing out into the world. The gates of hell cannot withstand that. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at the places where the church, the assemblies are growing at unbelievable rates, it's where they try to stop the gathering. You go to China, Africa, any place where, where they try to stop the gathering, the gates of hell can't, it, the church just explodes. It's like there's this scattering, gathering, scattering, gathering, scattering, gathering. In America, there's no scattering. So gathering becomes just a, is it, are we in the playoffs? No? All right, I'll go to church. Are we doing this? Well, man. I had a long week. I did this where the gathering has, doesn't have as much value. Now, again, I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just telling you that I think in a large respect, this is going to be something we fight against as we become disciples of Jesus Christ. Where we'd rather sit with our arms crossed and just go, well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like that. I mean, that's, that's kind of American culture. You see it on Amazon.com when you order something and you want to see how many stars there are. Take the exercise of just reading some of those uh, little things. It's, our sharpest minds are on this. I'm telling you. They're, they're, you know. but, but that's the thing. We're just used to giving an opinion. We're used to, well, I, I like this part of it, but I didn't like this. I got the cable from Amazon, but I had to cut the packaging. And ah, they should make better packaging. Or you know, two stars. You know, I, I'd give it four, but the packaging. It's like, what the heck is going on? We've just gotten to become a people that just kind of, I like this and I don't like that. And, and that's the way it is. We will be fighting against that as a gathering. Here's the thing, the question I have. Can they worship Christ in Iowa with Gertrude on the organ? Or are they just old and stupid and behind the times and they don't understand? I don't think so. The Bible says this. 
Let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's see, how can we kind of help each other in this? Can we call each other? Can we, while we're gathering, can we encourage one another? Like, what is, how do we do the one another's? Let's, let's consider, the word there really just means to ponder, to contemplate, to actually work through it, like to actually answer the question. Let's consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds and then watch the first thing the writer of Hebrews says. Not giving up meeting together. Not giving up the church, the assembly, the gathering. As is the habit, as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. As the worship band comes back up. Um, so what, what, what do we do? Because I want to go to a church that's awesome. You know. I want to go to a church that has a great worship band. And good preaching. And attractive people. And you know all, all this kind of stuff. Is that wrong to find a church that you like? Is worship mean it has to be bad? No. Not at all. But see, listen, we develop this as a community, as an assembly. We create the actual gathering that we're doing. It's not just the pastor or the leadership team or whatever. Your presence here, your involvement, our giving together, we are the assembly together. We create good worship. 